You may think you know all there is to know about the JFK assassination back in 1963, but there was a man who was wounded that day who you've probably never even heard of. His name is James Tague, and Andrew McRae talks to him on this edition of The Scenic Route. Well, let's go back almost 50 years uh, to November 1963. One thing I haven't asked you, or you haven't told me yet, is why you were there that day or what led you to where you were at to watch this parade that's going to be going by. Well, I, I'd just gotten out of the Air Force, and I uh, got my first job uh, selling cars. Golly, they supplied me with a new car, and that was a great deal. But anyway, that particular day... Uh, uh, I had a luncheon date at 12 o'clock noon downtown Dallas with a cute redhead. And I had a car customer come in, and I was hungry, and I stayed with him until uh, after 12, and I was in a big hurry to get down to take this cute redhead to lunch. And, and when I turned off of uh, Stimmons on the Commerce going uh, east into downtown Dallas, I was right under the triple underpass, and traffic stopped in there now. The Commerce was one lane going east, and I was in the far left lane. And uh, I sat there for a couple seconds, and a couple cars ahead of me, a guy was standing outside his car, leaning on the car door and looking up off to the left. And uh, My first thought was that somebody had had a bad accident or something for all these cars to be stopped. So I got out of my car, walked up uh, four or five steps to be out from under the triple underpass, and uh, looked up to the left and towards the school book depository, which I didn't know was a school book depository at that time. And there was a big crowd up there, and no more noticed that crowd until there came a car through it with flags on the front fender. Then being a pretty smart guy, I remembered reading in the paper that the president was going to be in town that day. And I thought, well, golly, he's going to come right down the street here quite close to me. And no more than that thought had entered my mind than somebody threw a firecracker. Pop. Turned out that was the first shot. But it sounded like a firecracker. Of course, everybody else there thought it was either a firecracker or a motorcycle box fire also on that first shot. And then after a slight pause, why well, is the crack crack of two rifle shots? And something stung me in the face. And I'm standing there in wonderment as the president's car goes by. And a couple streets are up. The streets all come together there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm standing there and all wondering what just happened. And a guy in a suit comes running up to me. It turned out he was a deputy sheriff in plain clothes. And he says, what happened down here? I says, I don't know. And uh, we look across the street. And uh, this motorcycle policeman stopped, and a couple people talking to him uh, excitedly. And we have to wait for traffic clear, because as soon as the president's car and the motorcade had cleared out, they released traffic. And we get across the street just in time to hear one of these guys exclaiming, his head exploded, his head exploded. He was, as a matter of fact, he was sobbing, his head exploded. And the motorcycle policeman says, whose head? He says, the president's. And I'll never forget that moment. Uh, Deputy Sheriff turned out to be Buddy Walters. Turns to the grass beside the sidewalk and says, damn, 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 as he kicks the grass with his toe. 
And to absorb all that, I learned later that I sort of had a blank spot in there trying to absorb what I'd just seen. That night on TV, uh, they re-ran all the people hurrying and running up the grassy knoll and things like that. And uh, it was weeks later that I discovered that I didn't even remember that. But that, that was what I witnessed with Kennedy being assassinated. You hadn't been there but just then a moment then. Probably, you? probably less than 10 seconds, maybe 15 seconds. Wow, so it was just, just all happened just it, right it, then. Yeah. It just happened one, two, three. Huh. Well, you mentioned about you felt something sting. Then how quick did you know well, or did you realize what had happened? Or When, when uh, after Buddy Walters had kicked the grass, he looked up at me and he says, you got blood on your face. And I reached up and felt my cheek uh, with the palm of my hand. And yes, there was uh, three or four drops of blood there on the palm of my hand. And I says, yeah, I remember something stung me during the shooting. And he said, where was you standing? And uh, we had to wait for traffic to clear again. And we uh, walked back across uh, Elm and Main. Uh, well, matter of fact, before we got back to uh, crossing Main, as we're standing between the two, he says, look over there, look at that mark on the curb. And sure enough, when we got back over there, there was a fresh bullet mark on the curb where a bullet had hit uh, in front of where I'd been standing. And evidently, the debris, probably concrete, maybe a small fragment of a bullet, I don't know, but probably mostly concrete, had sprayed me in the face. Yeah. And that's what broke the skin. It was nothing serious. It just broke the skin. Well, I'm going to transition over your books in just a second and your research and so forth. But at that point when that all happened, you mentioned, of course, you had a, you're going to have a lot of life and, and family to raise and so forth. At that point, did it ever enter your mind that you, that you wanted to know more about this? Or when did it begin to, that begin to happen? No, it's, uh, this is a, this is a, whole bunch of, a whole bunch of thoughts to absorb at that moment. Sure. Matter of fact, it was about 15 minutes later. A uh, Dallas policeman, uh, Buddy had told him that, uh, what had happened to me, and he calls in that he had one man hit by a possible ricochet. And it was right after that that I remember my car still sitting in the street. And uh, they told me that uh, they wanted to get a statement from me and to hang around. Well, I, I jumped, I went and got in my car, and this after 15 minutes after the assassination to move it, and by that time, uh, people in Dallas, uh, the curiosity seekers, were starting to flood the area, and I couldn't even find a place to repark. So I drove on down to the uh, Dallas police station and went in and told them I'd been sent there and why I'd been sent there, and they didn't even know what to do with me. Finally, they sent me up to homicide, and I sat there for several minutes, probably 30 or 40 minutes, and a detective comes in named Gus Rose, didn't know his name at the time, and he takes a statement from me on a yellow pad. And uh, we're about through with the statement when there's a commotion, commotion at the door to homicide, and they bring this guy in in handcuffs, two policemen do, and uh, Detective Rose asks us, what do you got there? And, and one of them says, well, this is the guy that killed that policeman over in Oak Cliff. 
that didn't mean anything to me until I got home and on TV that night. There's that guy they'd brought in to homicide was Lee Harvey Oswald. So I was sitting in homicide when they brought Oswald in. Both of you there together. Well, it's glassed-in cubicles, yeah, and yeah. and if uh, in the cubicle they brought him into next to mine, if there hadn't been glass, there, I could really turn around and touch him. Hmm. So, hmm. so this was the start of all these little things starting to one right after another falling into place through the years. Were you, you know, the Warren Commission is going to take place a long time afterwards. Were you then? Did they ever really interview you much over time? Because it sounds like that, of course, and we talked here before about the curb gets patched and all this stuff. Was it always that they didn't pay attention to you? Or did you? Uh, I I uh, went along for a couple of weeks, and uh, nobody called me. Nobody done anything, and and uh, they had things out. If you know something, why to call the FBI or something, and uh, anybody has any knowledge. And I kept trying to get up my nerve to call the FBI. And finally, on the 14th day of December, that'd be, what, three weeks, a little over three weeks after the assassination, I, I finally, for about the second time, third time, pick up the phone and finally call the FBI and said, well, I I was there and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and it wasn't 30, 30 minutes till two FBI agents was in my office at the car dealership. And I... Told him, but it's basically what I'm telling you, and uh, and uh, one of them asked me, says, "Well, did you uh, know ever know a guy named Jack Ruby?" I said, "Yeah, I knew Jack Ruby." I says, uh, "My roommate Jody Daniels, he was dating one of his girls." Another little thing kicks in, and uh, they went off on a tangent about Jack Ruby at that that, and then wasn't no well. Several questions about Jack Ruby, when I'd met him, what I knew about him, and, and so on and so forth, and uh, finally excuse themselves and leave. From then, from that moment until June the 5th the next year, there was nothing, never another thing heard about James Tagg and the assassination of John F. Kennedy. The, the first book that you write is it was it mostly because you found that they were not talking about your story that the the curb had been passed that all these types of things is that what leads you to go to the first book then no uh, my good friend Harold Weisberg uh, had been after me for years to write the book because of the fact that the curb had been patched and uh, so I wrote it there's no no theories in the book it's just what happened to me uh with the FBI and the Warren Commission and and uh, the police department and what happened and nothing, no conspiracy theories in it whatsoever. I want to make sure that you get in the name of the book so people know because you mentioned that he, you know, it was, I don't know what how we want to describe it, but it was your first authorship, but still people are interested in still it. Still interested in it, and uh, yeah, you can still get it through Amazon. Uh, it's thirty two ninety five on Amazon, James Tegg. Name of the book is Truth Without. By James Tag. My last name's spelled T A G U E, and uh, it, it's been. Uh, at first, I it was in every bookstore in the country, but but uh, when I found out somebody else was, uh, I'd self-published it, and the guy at uh, I'd hired to 
help me with it. I found out he was publishing it behind my back, and so I took it out of all the bookstores after about a year, and Amazon's the only place that's available right now. The we should mention when you talk about truth withheld, you go to the Warren Commission. They 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 bring you. I don't know, not back in, but after they've done a lot of their work, you come back in and tell them that this curb, <laughs> there was a hole there. There was a spot there that they claimed wasn't a few days or a few weeks before. Well, no, they they uh, uh, they don't get around to cutting that curb out of the street to examine it. So after I testified to the Warren Commission, they didn't cut it out of the street until uh, August the 5th. And I testified to the Warren Commission July 24th. That's 64. And uh, the FBI took it to the laboratory, and uh, uh, Hoover does it, runs it through their lab report, and they come up with uh, finding traces of antimony and lead, but no uh, traces of uh, copper. And Hoover reports to the Warren Commission that since there was no copper, it had to be a fragment since, uh, and he uses, uh, since Oswald was using uh, copper jacketed bullets. Well, that, and uh, what they used in the Warren, in the FBI lab was a spectrographic analysis. Now, that's another story. It turns out in the uh, 2005, they found out that a spectrographic analysis is junk science. So what the FBI lab was using to examine clothing and the curb and everything else back then by spectrographic analysis, they were using junk science in 63. So you can't believe what uh, the FBI lab was coming out with. And that curb, you have seen it. It's in the archives, but it's patched. In the National Archives. Matter of fact, uh, uh, I had a VIP treatment at the archives because of... uh, Getting a have my U.S. senator get me in there, and the assistant manager of the archives uh, greeted me, and uh, they had the uh, a room set aside and a table with the box where the curb had been in, uh, with the curb setting out on the table, and I had a magnifying glass to really eyeball it. And as we sat down, I said, "Well, gosh, I don't even need this to see it's been patched." And the assistant manager of the National Archives said very excitedly, he said, well, I know it. I can, he said, I can see that too. So uh, anyway, uh, I later got an uh, engineering document where uh, an engineering firm had uh, 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 went in and examined the curb in 1982 and determined that indeed it had been patched. Hmm. You, uh, and I don't know how we want to explain this all because our time is short, but you have certainly done a lot of research, and you hold, I'll let you tell what it is, but you hold a, a claim that nobody else is, is it being an eyewitness but also an author right now. Well, not only that claim, being an eyewitness and an author and testifying for the Warren Commission, being the only uh, person down there beside Kennedy and Connolly that was injured, uh, and testifying for the Warren Commission, uh, but I'm writing a new book that I've documenting uh, that varies greatly from what the Warren Commission had to say. Don't have a name for it yet, but uh, I name uh, Lyndon Johnson as being behind the assassination of uh, President Kennedy, and I document it. 
by people that were insiders to Lyndon Johnson. But knowing him, meeting him, talking to him, uh, I've got over 40 tapes from different people of different things of different information. And uh, you got to be careful when you write something like that. It's got to be documented, and I've got it documented. Yeah. Well, and by the time this runs, we may have a title or be able to direct people to it. But that's something for us to emphasize is, is all kinds of people can write things. But not only were you there, but as you were going through with me, you've done so much research that, you know, I mean, you were showing me there in black and white. You've got everything documented. People can that, look at it. That's correct. It's documented. And, and uh, one of the things I'm proud of, I, people are now uh, telling me, says, uh, I'm one of the last experts on the assassination, and uh, uh, the people uh, at the Kennedy Museum, uh, 6th Floor Museum in Dallas, it says that I'm the only person they know of that's a witness and also an accredited researcher. So I'm, I'm proud of those, uh, proud of the title of being a good researcher. Well, and some people listening to this may be head of the museum this year. We should tell them they can see part of your story, maybe a prelude to the book at the, 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 the museum. Yes, there is a there's a tape there in oral history, my name on it. There's an hour and forty four minutes DVD. They can watch me while I outline what's in the book. Yeah. I don't go deep into it, but I just give an idea of, of how I uh, found out it was uh, 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 Lyndon Johnson behind the assassination. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested in your thoughts since this is the 50th year and, and you're one of the, you mentioned some of the other authors that have authored books and that they're gone. Do you find new authors jumping into the fray all the time or are we beginning to pass from this at all? I'd be interested in your thoughts coming up on 50 years. Well, there's been over 2,000 books written and there'll probably be another 25 to 50 written this year. And I they're basically getting down to pretty much all the same. There's a couple new ones been out that's pretty good. Uh, this guy, Crush, K-R-U-S-C-H, has written a good book. And uh, uh, he's, he's one, and there's some others that's come out. I, uh, most of them's just rehashing the old thing, sure. same old thing, over and over and over. Right. Right. You, I know you don't know what may come out this year as far as books, but I want to give you a chance to, why should people find you or your book when it comes out? Uh, because there are going to be, as you mentioned, a lot out there. Well, if they want to know the truth and they want it documented, then they need to read my book. Yeah. I mean, the, the people that know me and has read a chapter or two says, my God, Jim, you, you probably got a bestseller on your hands. So, uh, of course, that, that, that kind of thing goes to your head, but, but I know I've got a good book. Right. I know, I know, see, the thing of it is, writing a book, writing my first book, I stumbled and stumbled and stumbled, and all of a sudden I found that if you just tell the truth, it's easy to write about. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Scenic Route. Remember, you can catch all of our daily broadcasts, find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages, and much more at AmericanCountryside.com.